Thanks for joining me for another podcast episode of Complex Identities. This is your host, Juan Marcos Berjana Gutierrez. In our previous podcast episode, we discussed the limits of rabbinic authority and how important it is for us to realize that rabbinic power was ultimately based, and certainly within the first centuries of the Common Era, on the ability of the rabbis to influence people through their study of the Torah, through their elucidation of the Torah, through their moral influence. And the reason that I mention this is that many times individuals who study the Second Temple period often place a tremendous amount of importance on the adoption of the Birkat Haminim, the malediction against heretics or sectarians by the rabbis at Yavne sometime in the 8th or ninth decades of the first century. Now, the problem with this, and, and if you're not familiar with this malediction, it was something that was added to the Amidah, to the principal prayer in uh, Jewish liturgy, or to the Shemona Ezra, to the 18 benedictions, and it stands as the 19th blessing. Um, the problem with this, as seeing it as a source of division between the nascent, quote-unquote, Christian community and the nascent rabbinic community, is that, again, it affords too much power and uniformity, and I think this is the key, uniformity to the nascent rabbinic class. Because one of the things that we have to assume is that an edict from Yavne would be able to be disseminated throughout the diaspora um, to all corners, and that all synagogues would automatically accept this. Now, we have another issue that we have to contend with, and that is that the Talmud does not record the malediction being specifically targeted targeted against Jesus or the followers of this messianic movement centered on Jesus. Now, later versions of the Berkat in the medieval period do mention Nazarene specifically. But here, we are left with another predicament. Is the reference specifically towards non-Jewish Christians, that is, Gentile Christians, or is the malediction directed against Jews who supported the Messianic claims ascribed to Jesus in some form or fashion. Shia Cohen, one of the scholars that I mentioned previously, states the following. Many scholars connect this anti-Christian cursing, and he's talking about anti-Christian cursing that is discussed in the literature of the Church Fathers in the 3rd and 4th centuries, but also there's one reference in the 2nd century, in the writings of Justin, in his dialogue with Trifo. Uh, many scholars connect this anti-Christian cursing with the rabbinic Birkat HaMinim. But then Cohen continues, but the Birkat HaMinim does not curse Christ and did not in its earliest stages mention Christians at all. And I think that that's extremely important because even if the malediction began to be widespread, it was adopted into synagogues, we don't see the focus being primarily on Christians. Now, we might argue that uh, the early Christian movement represented a significant threat, quote-unquote, to what the rabbis considered to be, quote-unquote, orthodox, because you know we're having to deal with the aftermath of the destruction of the temple and sort of a redefinition of Jewish life based on the absence of the temple cult. But I think what we need to do is realize that those first several centuries of the common era, again, are always more fluid, they're more complex, and it's not really until the fourth and fifth centuries that we really see more clearly defined boundaries. Now, that's actually one of the things that we want to discuss. Why do I keep mentioning the third and fourth centuries? Why do I discuss the fluidity of identity during this period of time? 
And so with that, what I'll do is I will quote something that I talked about in a previous podcast episode, and that is the quote given to us by Sergius the Stylite. In the 8th century, so we're talking about in the 700s of the Common Era, Sergius the Stylite, a Christian, recorded a debate with a certain Jew. Now, he titled this debate, Debate Against a Jew, rather conveniently. It records arguments about the relevance of biblical texts to Christians and the Jewish people. Now, the anti-Jewish perspectives of Sergius are not surprising. Um, if you study the literature of the early church fathers, you'll find that anti-Jewish sentiment uh, is very common, unfortunately. But the response given by his Jewish interlocutor is very surprising. And the Jewish debater says the following. He says, But now I am amazed how after knowing all this, there are among you some Christians who associate with us in the synagogue and who bring offerings and alms and oil at the time of Passover. They send unleavened bread and doubtless other things also. They are not entirely Christians, as some of our men have said, If they were truly Christians, they would not associate with us in our synagogues and in our law. Now, what does this quote tell us? It shows us that the boundaries between Jews and Christians, even as late as the 8th century, were permeable at the very least and ill-defined at the most extreme. Now, if we look at individuals like Melito of Sardis, or John Chrysostom in the 4th century, we can see anti-Jewish polemic very, very clear. Melito Sardis lived in the 2nd century, so we're talking about a very early stage of Christian development. John Chrysostom lived in the 4th century. Both of them give tirades and very, very disturbing images of Jews. Now, regardless of how vile, vile they were, these tirades reflect something very significant. The church's consistent attack on Jewish practices and theology were reflective of a simple reality. The Jewish tradition was sufficiently strong to interest curious Christians who were most certainly familiar with the anti-Jewish sentiments of these individuals, but saw in the living presence of Jews among them a very different portrait of the people of the Bible and their continued appeal.